The harvest. Jesus last week told us that He was the Lord of the harvest. In fact, what we saw last week when we looked at Matthew chapter 9 was that Jesus said that I have a mission. And my mission is to go out into the fields and to the highways and the byways and to everywhere I go. My mission is to teach the gospel, to preach the gospel, to teach people how to live a godly life. And he said, but while I'm doing that, I want to meet your physical needs. In fact, he used the illustration of healing. I don't think we ought to put too much emphasis on the healing, but the fact that Jesus was looking and seeing the need that the people have. You see, we may be around people that are in absolute need who are physically fine. But they may be hurting for a whole other reason. So we want to look and say, what's your pain? And you see, what Jesus did, Jesus went from touching to teaching. He would get into somebody's life. He would learn where they are, learn what they're going through. And then he would walk beside them long enough to have a relationship with them. He would respond to their need. And when he responded to their need, he got credibility. So that he could then speak to the real need of their life. The gospel. And Jesus had a mission. Jesus saw the misery And then Jesus said last week, you know what? I'm going to meet these needs. I'm going to respond to these people. He said, but right now I don't think I need to pray for the people because there's more people than we know what to do with. He said, I think I need to pray for the laborers. He said, I think I need to pray for the laborers to wake up and look around and see that everywhere you step and everywhere you go, there are individuals who are saying, help me. Friday night, we had a youth lock-in. 27, 28, maybe 30 young men here. All from our community. We shared the gospel. Six of those young men responded to the gospel of Christ. Yeah, you need to hear me. That's more than some churches see in a year. But listen to me, one of those young men who live in walking distance of our church, when we started talking about, y'all look really cute, y'all stand up, please, come on, come on, really, right now, time out, y'all stand up, come on. They all got all their little red shirts and blue jeans over here, they look so, they look so cute, yeah. (laughs) What are we talking about, Brandon? Brandon lives in walking distance of our church. Brandon did not know enough about the gospel to even have a conversation about Jesus. When we started talking about give your life, Tim, am I telling the truth? He did not even have enough knowledge. He said, all I know is this, my life's a mess. And I've been having dreams and I've been believing that God was calling me to go to a church. He didn't even know what it meant. But all he knew it was there. Listen to me. Jesus said the fields are ripe, but we need laborers. Because listen to me, when you walk beside, when you make the decision to walk beside a Brandon, man, you're starting at ground zero. You got to start, you can't start in the New Testament. You got to go back here to Genesis and say, God created. And you got to walk beside a young man that's so deep into some stuff of life that he is afraid to live, he's afraid to get up, he's afraid to walk outside. 
you got to walk beside Him. And it's a conscious choice because it's not going to be clean. And there are going to be days that you're going to go, dude, I wouldn't have done that. And it's going to be frustrating. I'll tell you how frustrating it's going to be. Hey, if you show up, the one thing we ask you to do is don't leave. Because if you leave, we're responsible for you. We wake up the next morning, Brandon is nowhere to be found. During the night, he bolted. Brandon, where are you? I don't know. But man, he stepped into our life and he said, I want to have that conversation with you. There was another young man responded to the gospel. Sat down and started to have the conversation with him. He didn't want to be in front of other people when he bowed his head to pray. So Russell brought him back in and said, I'll talk to you in just a moment. He comes in, starts to talk with him. And all he can do at 14 years old is weep out loud. And let me tell you something. When a 14-year-old boy will weep in front of a grown man, he's hurting. you got to hear me, guys. It is not clean, and you hear me. I am not, don't, I want you to hear what I'm not saying first. Protesting is good. And there are times that we need to stand and we need to protest and we need to point out that things are not good and right and they need to change. But a protest is a reaction to something that's already happened. Jesus said, I want you to be pre-protest and I want you to step out of your comfortable life and I want you to step into somebody's uncomfortable life and I want you to walk beside them and be what they need to be. We want to be the one that breaks the chains. We want to walk beside. We want to catch them before they're in jail. We want to catch them before they're shot. We want to catch them before they're addicted to drugs. We want to catch them while we can still shape and form and heal and let them see that Jesus changes life. But church, listen to me. Jesus prayed for you first. He said, basically, you know what Jesus said? Pray to the Lord of the harvest because the fields are ripe, but the labors are few. What he said was, if my lazy people would get off their raunchy backsides and get out of the church and get in the street and go shake somebody's hand and hug their neck and walk beside them, you can make a difference. It is wonderful to sit in church and sing Break Every Chain. I mean, it is. But guess what? There are chains out there. So when we open the gym, when we have a lock-in, when we're going to have a girl sleepover in just a few weeks, when we're meeting for Bible study on Thursday night, we're saying, bring your chains, bring the lock. I think we have the master key. But it doesn't happen in a hallway fist bump and how's your mom and them. Jesus had a mission. Jesus had a misery. Jesus had a purpose. He said, I'm praying for the labors. And then when we get to John chapter 4, he takes this thing to a whole other level. John chapter 4, 32 to 38 is what we're just looking at. Jesus had been in Jerusalem. And he was about to go to another place. And to go to another place, he had to walk north. And he could go around it, but the shortest distance was through Samaria. I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever been going somewhere and thought, man, it'd be really short if I just drove right through this neighborhood? But that place ain't good, so I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go around it. 
Jesus didn't take the bypass. Jesus drove straight through the neighborhood. And when he drove through the neighborhood, he began to see people. Because you see, that neighborhood was Samaria. It had Samaritans in it. Samaritans were Gentiles and Jews. And nobody really liked them. In fact, it wasn't even lawful for Jesus to be in their presence. But let's just start reading John chapter 4, verse 32. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? And my food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it is still four months until harvest? And I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and a harvest and harvest a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. And I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done this hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. This is the backside of that whole thing that I just told you about. Jesus is walking through Samaria. When Jesus walks through Samaria, Samaria it's about lunchtime. He's hungry. He's tired. He sits down at the well and he says to his disciples, run into town, grab us something to eat, bring it back. While we're here by the water in the heat of the day, we'll find a shade, we'll eat. Well, while they're gone, Jesus looks around and he sees some of that fruit that's ripe. It's a lady. And she's at the well. And Jesus, who knows all things, begins to have a conversation with her. He surmises that her life is not in best order. And he begins to talk to her about where her life is and talk to her about something to drink and living water and all of this kind of stuff. And ultimately, he shares with the lady the life-changing truth of the gospel. The lady responded. So much so that she couldn't just stay there. She had to run into town and tell all the people, Hey, come meet the one who told me everything I've ever done. And he loved me anyway. He loved me anyway, and he stepped into my life right at that moment, and he, res he changed me. It says that people from the city began to run. But do you see what Jesus did? He stopped. He saw. And he didn't say, oh, no, I'm a Jewish man, and you're a Samaritan woman. I'm not supposed to talk to you. No, he said, my work is to do the will of God. What's the will of God? To go and make disciples. First to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outer parts of the world. He knew what God's will was. And when he was in Samaria, he stopped and he met the people. See, we really don't have a Samaria, so per se, in our world, geographically. But I think we've built some Samarias on our own. And we said, well, I'm not going to go over there. Or I'm not going to hang out with them. Or I'm this and they're that. Man, Jesus had love. And Jesus' love motivated him to step into somebody's life and reap this harvest. Billy Graham said this. 
The evangelistic harvest is always urgent. The destiny of men and of nations is always being decided. Every generation is strategic. And speaking of the gospel, he said, we're not responsible for the past generation and what basically what they did with the gospel. And we cannot bear full responsibility for the next generation. But we do have our generation. And God will hold us responsible as to how well we fulfill our responsibilities to this age and take advantage of our opportunities. I truly believe that we are standing on the threshold of one of the greatest opportunities we've ever seen with the gospel. We have technology that can let us send the gospel in two seconds anywhere we want to. We have access to people like we've never had before. But of the 7 billion people that walk the earth today, 4 billion of those people have never responded to the gospel. If 25% of that 4 billion heard the gospel, that means 1 billion people would come to Christ. That means that we would see an increase in the gospel or people who follow God that would be four times greater than the population of the United States. Jesus said, I have planted. You know, every year you see these signs, you pick strawberries. Somebody else planted the strawberries. Somebody else nurtured the strawberries. Somebody else brought the strawberries ready to eat. All you got to do is go pick them. Well, this is you pick people. Jesus said, I've done everything you need. They're ready. They're out there. They are, they are been nurtured and they have been brought to this place. And all I want you to do as my ambassador is I want you to step into their life, walk beside them, get to know them, and say, I love you enough to tell you the truth. And here it is. But you see, we've got these chains. We've got the chain of terror. Every time you turn on the TV, oh no, what are we going to do? Somebody drove a truck into the middle of a group of people in Nice, France. Oh no, a military group has tried to overthrow the government. What are we going to do? That affects Richard and Becky. Their granddaughter's in Turkey right now. Greece, I'm sorry. There, she's in Greece. But right next to where it's going on. You see, we've got racism. Man, somebody said, because my skin's lighter than yours and yours is darker than mine, or you live on this side of town and I live on that side of town, that we can't be friends. That drives me freaking nuts. I'm just going to tell you right now, it drives me nuts. Because every Sunday and every time we come together as a church, man, I hang out with people that in no other way should you say those people should come together. But because we took the time to say hey and to hang out, man, we're friends. And nobody can define to me who I can walk with and beside. Satan's a liar. He will tell you that somebody can define it. And he will tell you because you're a 52-year-old white guy that an 18-year-old black kid will not want to hang out with you. I'm going to tell you I can absolutely empirically prove that totally wrong. I can prove it factually by the ministry of presence. So nobody has to tell that lie. You don't have to believe it anymore. And Jesus, he showed it. He modeled it. But we've got the fear of racism. Man, we've got the fear of immigration. We've got the fear of election. We've got the fear of broken homes. We've got the fear, and I can't even read my writing here, but there's another fear there. 
And it's a big one too. Because I guarantee you it's keeping somebody down. And what's the result? Man, people get depressed. They get discouraged. They get disillusioned. So the question for not for us is not, is there an opportunity? Because Jesus has already declared there is an opportunity. He said, the question is not, is there an opportunity? But are you going to seize the opportunity that you have? Are you going to walk in? So, Noel, if we're talking about the harvest and us being in the opportunity, there's some things that we need to look at. The keys to the harvest. The first thing that I have to believe about the harvest is that the harvest is possible. Now, that's premised on the fact that Jesus said there is a harvest, it's ripe, and I am ready to reap it. So that comes down to an essence of the Word of God. Do I believe the Word of God? Do I believe when Jesus said, if you'll go out into my highways and my hedges and compel them to come in, that I'll fill up the house? So really, that's a theological question every one of us have to answer. Do I believe that God can use me to reach people for His purpose, for His kingdom? All right, there is another thing, premise, that we have to understand. Not only do we have to believe the harvest is possible, but we also have to believe that, and know that I must assume a personal responsibility. What is that thing about anybody, somebody, and finally nobody? If we come in here every week and believe that it's my church's responsibility to share the gospel, if we believe that it's my church's responsibility to tell somebody about Christ, if we believe that Russell ought to set it up, Davis ought to set it up, or Joy or whoever, Sunday school teachers ought to set it up, then what we're going to do is sit back and say, hey, when y'all throw something together, count on me. And if it works out in my schedule, I'm going to show up. But you see, Jesus didn't say the church ought to do evangelism. Jesus said that Mount that the people of the church need to do evangelism. In other words, us. And when I said the church, I'm going to say little c, Mount Zion. And when I say, but the church, I'm going to say big c, the people that make it up. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, it's ripe, it's ready, it's for you. But not only do we have to believe it, not only do we have to assume it, we have to seize the opportunity. I believe right now we're in one of those moments of seize the opportunity. People are asking questions. People are open to dialogue. They wonder what's going on. Which Wednesday night, by the way, we're going to do something we're calling Skin in the Game. It's going to be a special discipleship worship service right here in this worship center. We're going to watch a sermon that was preached um, last week at um, North Point Church. Andy Stanley had a conversation between him and two young men, and they talked about the issues of the day. We're going to watch that, and then we're going to sit and talk about how is Mount Zion Baptist Church that we can be the change that we want to see. How do we step in? How do we seize the opportunity? How do we walk with people? And with these thoughts in mind, I'm going to give you three things that Jesus taught us about the harvest. That we can walk away with. We can, I'm going to give you something on Sunday that you can take to work with you on Monday. How many of y'all pack a lunch and take it to work with you? Several do? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to give you something to put in your lunchbox. 
straight out of Jesus' teaching that will say, if you take this and you take it to work with you, you can seize the moment. The first thing that we see is that Jesus talked to them about the food. You remember the context? They're walking, they're hungry, it's hot. He says, hey, y'all run into town, slip through the drive-thru, bring us back some sandwiches. Yeah. So they're doing what Jesus told them to do. But when they get back, Jesus isn't hungry. And they're like, wait a minute. Somebody's giving him something to eat. I kind of hear, hear a tinge of jealousy there. That's my job. And somebody else has then made Jesus something to eat. And Jesus says, come on, guys. Life is more than food. Life is more than personal comfort, okay? That's really what he just said to them. Life is more than personal comfort. So in verse 32, he said, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. My food is to do the will. When the disciples returned, they saw a totally different Jesus. They left him tired, but they found him invigorated. They left him hungry, but they found him satisfied. They left him hot and thirsty, but when they came back, he was thirsty no more. And he said to them, I've got food to eat. At first, the disciples, they didn't understand, and then Jesus went on to explain. Jesus kind of gives them a progressive dinner, if you will. He said, stop number one. He said, this is how I got satisfied today. He said, my appetizer is the word of God. Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He said, I get my appetizer. He said, I get my eat on. I get started with a little appetizer. My appetizer is the word of God. And when I get into the word of God, it begins to satisfy me. But it doesn't fully satisfy me because not only once I step into the word, now it compels me to action. And he says, here's the main course. My main course is to do the will of God. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. From the cradle to the grave, Jesus' burning passion was to live out and to do the will of the Father. In John 6, 530, I'm sorry, it says, I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. In John 6, 38, he says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. When he comes to the end of his ministry, in Matthew 26, 39, Jesus said, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, if this cup can pass from me. Jesus said, my appetizer is the word of God. My main course is the will of God. One of the main marks of the body, of a healthy body, is it hungers for food. One of the main marks of a healthy soul is it hungers to do the will of God. The English missionary Stanley Livingstone after having spent some time in some very difficult situations of life, said this, and I'll quote him. He said, I had rather be in the heart of Africa in the will of God than on the throne of England out of the will of God. If you see, any good meal has an appetizer, the word of God, has a main course, the will of God. But we all know we like dessert. And Jesus said, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. You see, when I get into the word of God, 
And I understand that from the word of God, that the will of God is to go and to step into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. When we've been with him, now we got to get out in the street. And we got to go find people. We got to walk with people. We got to know what's going on. And hear me, hear me. For some people, it's face to face evangelism. It's like walking up and saying, Hey, can I tell you about Jesus? He loves you. And some people really love that. But that may not be your thing. Because stay with me, we're going to see that Jesus said, Whether you sow or whether you harvest, you have done the will of the Father. For some of you, man, God gave you the gift to make money. And you need to be writing big old checks so people can go and have the resources to step into people's lives. Some of you do not have the opportunity necessarily to write a big check. And maybe you're not a confrontational evangelism person. But you know what? You can make sure these buildings are ready for when people walk in that everything is ready so that it happens. Some of you are teachers. Once that person hears the gospel and has said yes to Christ... Man, we need people to teach them all that we've been commanded so that they can go live it out. But Jesus looks at them and he says, My food is to do the will of the Father. The fields are ripe to harvest. Jesus saw that lady at that well. He could have easily walked by that lady. He could have ignored that lady. He could have said that lady is somebody else's responsibility. And it reminded me of a story I heard one time. There was a botanist, somebody who studies flowers. And he was out in a field and he was just kneeling down. And he had a magnifying glass in his hand. And he was just doing this. 30 minutes became an hour. And an hour became two And this old shepherd had been watching him. And he finally walked up to him and he said, Sir, you have been kneeling on that ground for two hours with a magnifying glass. He said, I don't see anything. And he got the old shepherd to kneel down. He fixed the magnifying glass just right. And under that magnifying glass was a tiny, tiny, tiny little bloom called a heather bell. And to the naked eye, you didn't see it. In fact, you walked by it and you would trample on it. But with the magnifying glass, all of a sudden it was something totally amazing. You see, we get busy in life. And we start walking and we start moving. And there are things that God puts in front of us, people that God puts in front of us all the time. And we need the magnifying glass of the Word of God. And we need the power and the purpose of the will of God to see them. And when we see them, they're amazing and beautiful. And all of a sudden now we can't walk past them. And can I tell you that's what's happening in our communities day after day and night after night and week after week and month after month. We we get so busy walking by That we don't see the little things. The little people. And I don't mean little by stature or little by status. But they just all get to look the same. And when we kneel next to the botanist. 
and he hands us that magnifying glass. Man, he says, look, that's beautiful. Step into Brandon's life. Step into Miles' life. Step into Eric's life. Step into this person's life. Walk with them. Do you ever think about how many times you've trampled just a pretty little flower? Because you were busy. Or because somebody else defined with you who you ought to hang out with. Man, if God would give us his eyes. How many of y'all are playing Pokemon on your phone right now? Not like right now, but like in general. Is anybody? One, two, three, four, five. So now we're getting honest. Oh, I'm not the only one. Let me raise my hand. All right, I'm going to raise my hand. I've been playing Pokemon. I'm going to tell you the truth. Well... People are driving all over Atlanta to catch phantom little Pikachus. I think's what you call them, or little Pokemon dudes. Well, right up here at the church, we have had a plethora of activity, like cars that haven't, like it looked like school drop-off back in the day, because people are just driving through there, and I'm like, what in the world? Well, that is a for all y'all that are playing, that's a Pokemon gym, so you can go charge up your little guy. Um, because somebody made it that. We need to kind of make people like Pokemons. We want to capture them. We want to get them. We want to be around them. We want to seek them out. We want to find who they are. We want to walk in their lives. Because Jesus said, look, here's my food. But then he says there's some fruit. Look uh, at verse 36. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and a harvest a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Why should we be a part of the harvest? Because you get a wage. What is it? It gathers fruit for eternal life. You reap rewards. In the Old Testament it's called the sheaves. Bringing in the sheaves. You know how the song goes. Yeah. Every time you share the gospel and someone receives Christ, you have put into God's storehouse eternal fruit. Do you believe what Jesus said here about the harvest, that the one who sows and the one who reaps both gather for eternal life? Friday night we had the lock-in. I don't remember who all was here, so I wrote it down. Let's see. There was Davis, there was Jordan... There was Tim, there was Russell, there was Garfield, there was Bailey, and there was E-Man and Bobby for a while. Yes, sir. Awesome. All were here. E-Man stood up and shared the gospel. So you could technically say E-Man led six people to Christ. But then when you go back to this passage of Scripture and you find out that, no, it took all of them because somebody had to plan it, somebody had to open the door, somebody had to greet, somebody had to create an environment where people felt welcome so that when you call them together and said, hey, we're going to sit down and talk. And what Jesus said, look, 
Just because you're not the one who actually says, would you bow your head and pray with me? You have not been excluded. Because you see, before that, there were people that helped plan it. There were people that made other things happen, blah, 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 blah. And Jesus said, for this saying is true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others labored and you have entered into their labors. Mount Zion, don't get discouraged when you're not the one who actually sees the piece of fruit being picked. Don't get discouraged when you're part of the cleaning crew that's here on a Thursday getting the buildings ready so that somebody can come in because you have very much been a part of the harvest. You've been a part of what's going on because I promise you this, if we walked into unkept and unclean and buildings that were in disarray, it wouldn't set the tone right. But everything we do as a church is a part of the mission. And by nature of my job, I may get to see more people bow their head. But without the whole team, it just doesn't happen. Jesus said, here's the fruit. You may not be the one that always sees it. But I want to tell you, no witness is ever wasted and no worker is ever worthless. I'm going to beg you this morning to fall in love with Jesus' love, the harvest. And you ask yourself today, how can I be a part of the change that I want to see at Mount Zion Baptist Church? How can I be a part of the change that I want to see in my community? How can I be a part of the change I want to see in my state, in my country, in my world? How, God, can I be a part of it? God, let me tear down the chains. Let me break the chains. Tear down the walls that society has said are here and this is how we ought to live. No, let's tear all those down and say, God, I want to see the women at the well. I want to see the kid in the street. I don't want to walk by the blind man or the lame man or the crippled man. God, I want to see them all. And I want to be a part of what you're doing. And God, if it's teaching, I want to teach. If it's cleaning, I want to clean. If it's giving, I want to give. But I want to be a part of what you are, God. Because Jesus says there's food, it's to do the will of God. There's fruit, there are people who will receive eternal life. And then the last point. The food, the fruit... The fields, that's all of them, isn't it, Noel? Good, good, good. Charles Spurgeon said, if someone were to offer you $1,000 for every person you reach for Christ, would you make more of an effort than you do when the reward is an eternal crown? I had to be honest. I was like, $1,000? <laughs> yeah, sign me up. <laughs> but then in the honesty, there was the realization of God's command. Skin in the game is a phrase used to say, what do you have invested? You see, because little investment, little effort. Big investment, greater effort. And I'm excited about this series. I'm excited about this passage of Scripture. I'm excited about Wednesday night sitting and talking. 
Because listen to me. We all we got. I don't want anybody else. Do y'all remember the days that we have prayed, God, would you bring us the hurting? Would you bring us the ones that are addicted? Would you bring us the ones that are into things that they shouldn't be into? God, would you bring them and would you let let us see them come to Christ? Do you know God is answering that prayer more than I've ever seen him answered in my 25 years in ministry? Right now. We are positioned. We are empowered. And all things are possible. Jesus said we're just missing one thing. The workers. The people. So this morning we're going to pray for the laborers. We're going to pray that God will raise up people that we don't even know and can't even imagine. And to help us to respond to and disciple the people that he's bringing to us. You know what? We're also going to pray because I believe sitting in this room this morning are some of those people that Jesus said are ripe. I believe there are people here that have never trusted Christ as Savior. And this morning is the time to do that. This morning is the time to stand up and say, I want God in my life. And I absolutely believe that there are people here that have eternal life that need to come and say, God, break the chains of my preconceived notions. Can I even be a little more real than preconceived notions? Because that's a pretty little package with a bow on it. That, that plays well in church. But it may look something like this. Hey God, help me to love that young black kid. That I have nothing in common with. That doesn't act like. I think people ought to act sometimes or doesn't say what people think they ought to say sometimes. Or it may be something like this. Hey, God, I'm a young black kid. Would you help me to love that old white guy? Or God, that person that's dealing in drugs? Or that person that's offensive every time I get around them? God, would you help? Would you break those chains? Because we've been in the Word of God and we know that the Word of God taught us that the will of God is to love people. And then when we got in the Word of God and found out the will of God was to love people, he said like Samaritan women that are at the well that have like, (laughs) have made choices we don't even, would make us blush. That's what Jesus said. And y'all need to hear me. Jesus broke down. He got it real. He said, he said, this is how you live life. And that's a courageous prayer. Because it changes you. 
It'll cost you. But it'll also invigorate and bless your life. And you want me to tell you what the difference, the power of, of remembering and the power of seeing is? I talked to a young man this weekend who's only been to our church a few times. And he goes to a, to a, a larger church and he's um, on the inside of that larger church and he's got a lot of cool blessings in his life because of where he worships. But he said, Pastor, you know why I like to come to Mount Zion? I couldn't think of a single reason. I mean, really, I couldn't because where he is, there's money, there's activity, there's people, there's fame, there's fortune, you name it. There's all the good stuff. He said, you know why I like to come to Mount Zion? He said, because I met Miss Becky one time and she remembered my name. <laughs> Straight up. That is exact. Am I lying, Davis? That is what that young man said. I, didn't, I had no idea. He said, that lady remembered my name. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. But you see what that name did? Was it said, you matter. You're not a part of the forest, you're a tree. Everybody wants to be a tree. A handshake, a hug, a short conversation. And you can change the world. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more or to contribute through online giving, please visit www.mzbc.org. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear more, simply click on the Sermons tab or subscribe to the Simple Truth Podcast through iTunes. Thank you for supporting Mount Zion, where you are welcome, wanted, and needed.